0: You know we're in a vertical-horizontal relationship between first with the Lord and then with each other, and we've been talking about family and specifically covenant communities. If I mention the word church or congregation, people kind of have an image in their mind. It's we all. It's like getting on a bus. Okay, what do I mean by that? Oh, there's the bus, and it's going to Reno. Okay, so you get on the bus, and there's a, a bus driver. Let's just call him the pastor or the rabbi. And and then everybody sits in their seats, and uh, they know where that bus is going because the sign said it's going to Reno. And the bus driver knows that. He's been on that route before, okay? And that, unfortunately... That's kind of what a picture of church in a lot of ways. We all go to a building, we all go to a place, and we're familiar with it because we know where it's going to. And that guy who's driving the bus, he's actually the pastor. But God is, during all of the shaking that's going on, he is developing us into a covenant community family that's what he wants he doesn't want just a bus with a bunch of people going to a specific direction yeah we are going and heading to a specific direction but we get so used to things and god is using everything that's been going on over the last year and a half to shake us up to bring us back to to restore what he purposed from the very beginning a family We can look at the father. He's in a perfect family with a son. And the Ruach HaKodesh, he wants us to imitate that family. That's what he wants. So today I want to talk about the the message. It's called Things Not Yet Restored, But In Process of Being Restored. I want to talk about us being a place for his presence. Amen. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Or if you don't want to turn with me, you can read it on the the screen. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse... Well, actually, it says 16 up there, but I'm going to start a few verses earlier. You don't have to bother. But it says in verse 13, When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Everybody was talking about Yeshua. Yeshua. But he's with his best friends and he's saying, who do you, who do people say I am? They answered, some say John the Immerser. Others say Elijah and still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, but okay, let's bring it home. Who do you, who do you say I am? Verse 16. Shimon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Who? Who? Powerful. I bet you at that point, every one of his disciples was just blown back. This is Peter saying these things? Whoa, he got the right answer. Whoa. And Yeshua was just, I'm sure he was just flushing with, oh, that's my boy. That's my boy. A little while later, he had to rebuke him, but that, you know, he's not there yet. Verse 17, Yeshua said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. We can make it into this this religious thing. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. No, I think Yeshua, blessed are you. You got it. That's it. You have the revelation from the Father. I think Yeshua had passion when he talked to his disciples. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... Verse 18, and I also tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, upon Peter's confession, his proclamation, his revelation of who the Messiah is, upon this rock I will build my community, or in some versions it says the church, but I want us to bring it home, his community, it's Jew and Gentile together. It's Orchaim. It's the family of God. Our, his build his community, and the gates of Sheol will not overpower it. If Yeshua said something, he means it, and he wants to see it take place. He wants to see a community of believers. That are not going to be afraid of the gates of hell prevailing. Because they will not prevail. But standing with that shield of faith that Joyce talked about. See you can't do it on your own. It's only through putting our faith in that proclamation that Yeshua. You are the Messiah. The son of the living God. When we have that individually but corporately come together that's what a community and that's what he is wanting to restore in this in these days i'm really i'm i'm excited about this i really believe this see the goal for his house and he's building his house is not just a visitation oh yeah he visits us on sunday morning or shabbat morning but he wants habitation where we know that he is living with us 24-7 and that we are not only becoming that house of the Ruach HaKodesh, but we are houses of prayer. He says he will build his community community upon that proclamation. There are two elements that I believe God is wanting to restore. New wineskins, let's say, Although that term can be overused at times. God, during this season, today, he's wanting to restore biblical covenant community and biblical leadership. And today I want to focus on the biblical community part of it. We'll talk about the leadership part of it. Because it's not just talking about Stu and Millie or Russ or or Bill. It's talking about all of us being in a position of biblical leadership. You know, I've talked a lot in the last months about revivals. And I love revival. I've been part of revivals. I want to see revival. I want to see, but I don't want to just stay with revival. I want it to move on to revolution, restoration. See, past revivals, we can look at even the Welsh revival for for existence earlier in in the last century. God revived what had died In other words, there was a church there. There was a bunch of people who would call themselves Christians, but there wasn't really a whole lot of life. Specifically in the Welsh Revival, there started with a couple of old ladies. I don't want to, don't take that, don't, you know, be offended, but these ladies were in their 80s who prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed for visitation, To come upon their land. And then it happened. God revived what was dead. Bars and and pubs closed down. Places of ill repute closed down. And people were running to the church and getting saved on the way to the church. See, that's revival. Life from the dead. But then what happens in revival is the devil comes in and he tries to, to stop the revivals. There's a counterattack. He brings in accusations and persecutions. And he says, oh, you know, he raises up people to say, oh, look what's happening with those crazy people over there. Oh, look what they're doing. The enemy tries to, to stir things up. But then God comes in and says, no, this is my work. Get your hands off. And so he prevails. God prevails. And everybody goes, yes, hallelujah, God prevailed. And then man takes over the revival man takes over the revival usually what happens we create our programs this has worked so well let's canonize it let's make a, 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 a let's 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 make it into a program let's let's do this every week i can fall into that i don't know about you but i can fall into that where wow something worked really good let's just do it continue to do it. and pretty soon you've got it in stone You've got our own programs and our own protocols, and then we develop. You know what? We need a leadership, hierarchies. We need this, this person, and then this person, and then this, and everything is organized. The end of the revival comes. And I could tell you denominations, the Methodists, and other denominations that I won't mention here. Why did I even mention them? I shouldn't have mentioned them, but I did. Okay. Where there was, they started with great revivals, and then they petered out. See, I believe that a revival, but leading to habitation, is when a bunch of people grab a hold of his presence. Now, Paul Wilber talked about this last week. There is no Hebrew word for the word presence. It's the word panim, which means face, the face of God. The word panim in Hebrew means face, the face of God. It means his presence. It means front. It means before us. It means his countenance. So when I close the service with the Aaronic Baruch, the blessing, and I say, Lord, let your your countenance be on us. That's his face. Be upon us. You see, true revival, true restoration is maintained. And that's what we're talking about, is maintained when we, the remnant, keep seeking his face. We keep his face before us. Our greatest desire, our greatest hunger is for that place of his presence, for his face. That's where revival turns into restoration And it turns into a habitation where he is present when we are always seeking his face. Always. So no matter what happens in the world, whether Afghanistan falls or whether this happens or whether COVID is doing this or whether the new variant is doing this, we keep his face before us. That's where revival takes place. And the things of the world, the things that are going on will not distract us from his purposes. It's a place of presence, a place of presence, keeping his face before us. And we see that all through the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And this is this t- chapter about the fall of Adam and Eve. But you know what? However long they were in the garden, before the fall, they were face to face with the Father. They were face to face with God. They got used to being in the garden, walking in the garden, hearing his voice. As a matter of fact, it says here in verse 3, verse 8, I should say, Genesis 3, eight says, And they heard the sound of Adonai Elohim going to and fro in the garden, in the wind of the day. I love that term, in the wind of the day, the ruach. They had a specific time where they would meet with God. They would hear his, and I, and I, and I believe before they took the fruit, there was like an excitement. wow. I hear the father, he's coming. Oh, let's go meet with him face to face. But on this particular day, it says, so the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence or the face of Adonai Elohim in the midst of the trees of the garden. We see David's heart to be in that place of being in the face of God. In Psalm 17, verse 15, it says, but my prayer... In righteousness is to see your face. On waking, may I be satisfied with a vision of you. See, that should be our heart's cry in the morning. Now, I've got a transition from waking up in the morning saying, Coffee. Coffee. To, God, I want to see your face. I watch Millie when she gets up in the morning and it's like, Good morning, Lord. And I'm like, I want to be that way. I want to be in seeking his face from the time I wake up. Amen. Moshe understood this. Moses understood this. In Exodus 33, we've read this scripture so many times. Moshe replied. He's having this discussion with the Lord. And the Lord's pretty upset about these people that he's put Moses in charge of and Moses is upset with him. Moshe replied, if your presence, your face, doesn't go with us, don't make us go on from here. For how else is it to be known that I have found favor in your sight? You see, face and see, Moses wanting his face to go. be. There's something about vision and being in sight, in, in face, that's always there. And it's not something just in the New Testament. This is all through the scriptures. I and your people others um, say, excuse me um, how, how else is it to be known that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people other than by your going with us your presence your face is with us that is what distinguishes me and your people from all the other peoples on earth has anything changed today from those words that Moses spoke? What distinguishes the people of God from everybody else is that we seek his face, desire his face more than anything else, desire being more in his presence than anything else. And see, when we're in that place of his presence, you cannot be fearful about what's going to happen tomorrow in Washington, D.C., or Kabul, Afghanistan, or Tel Aviv, Israel. You cannot be fearful if you're in his place of presence in his face. So we have a choice what to do about his presence in his face. We can hide from his presence, and we can do that. You have a choice. You can live out of your own devices, your own mindsets, your own attitudes, your own thinking of what should be done. Hide from his presence or we can desire his presence. We can desire his presence more than anything. And You know, there's also an interesting scripture in Exodus 33 where when God says to Moses' desire to see his face, he says, you know, if you see my face, you'll die. And this is still true for us today. When we desire to see God's face, it will cause us to die. I will die to my own thoughts. I will die to my own mindsets. I will die to my stinking thinking, my attitudes. We are supposed to die. Matter of fact, Paul says, crucify the flesh. Crucify those things. So it will cause us to die. It's still true. The principle is still true today. When we desire his face, yeah, it's going to be a death process. See, when we're ever before his face, individually and as a community, he will create a family, a community in his image. Because the more you stare at something, you become more like that. And so he needs us to be in his face and to desire his face more than anything so that we begin to look like Yeshua that we begin to taste like Yeshua, that we begin to smell like Yeshua, and that we act like Yeshua. And we can only do that when we're in his presence. To be connected as a community, we need to count the cost, because you know what? To do what I just said, it will cost. See, this is the problem with a lot of people in church today is um, they go there and they hear a good word and it's like yeah that's good, makes me feel good. It encourages them. But if there's no transformation, if there's no change, then what's taken place? They had a good day, it felt good. But when we really take seriously community, it will cost. It will cost. Not just time but also to give of yourself to other people other than yourself. That's what true love is. It's considering the other person is better, or not better, but is have a greater desire for the other person than you do for your own needs. See, it will cost to really walk in covenantal community, but that's what God is calling us to do. You know, we're talking about the whole thing with vaccinations. If God is saying, no, I want you to trust me in this area, we're going to have to decide, do I trust God who just spoke to me? That's why we prayed this morning. Or I need that job. I need that income. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. We all have to make those decisions. It will cost. Being a disciple will cost. Something has to die. We're always in a dying process. There's a cost involved when the desire to move from a program-oriented enterprise to a kingdom-focused community. And guys, I really, I've sensed this, you sense it too. The last year, 18 months, we are in a different era than we were before. It is not business as usual. I don't want, and we shouldn't expect, a return to normal. He is building his kingdom community. We've tried the program route; it doesn't work. He's calling us to live as a kingdom community. Millie and I, we had the the pleasure; the we were blessed to for years to live in. In community, literally in community, where it's like, you know, we had a little room maybe, but we were sharing with it people all the time. And I'm an introvert. Believe it or not, I am an introvert. And there are times when I just said, man, get me away from these people. But there's something about community, and I think God is, 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 is awakening, he's awakening us up to the fact that we will need each other more in these next weeks and months than ever, ever before. So we need to learn how to be community. So everybody, get rid of your houses. We're all moving into Russ and Siri's house out. We're going to live in community. No. <laughs> I'm looking around, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, Linda bought the Linda and Pete bought that new house over there, so we can all, we may end up doing that, guys, this is maybe, this may, oh, Lee's got the new house, he just bought it just for us, and we're going to see it there tonight, so bring your sleeping bags tonight. No, 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 no. See, our propensity, and by the way, I didn't mention this earlier, but, um, we are going to be taking our, our offering, tithes, the Lord's tithes and offerings, um, after I get through with my message when we go into the to worship. So be prepared for that. That's just a, an aside, okay? Uh, we'll be taking that. Yes, ma'am. Oh yeah, if. Anybody here is working in a position or a job and your employer is requiring you to be vaccinated, but you feel very strongly that you are not to be vaccinated, I can write a letter as from the church. Okay. And and as of now, there are exemptions if you do have a pastor's letter. So let me know. Okay. Get back on the things here. Our propensity Or the human nature is to build churches and congregation programs with professional clergy. And there's nothing wrong with being trained. But God is right now calling for consecrated disciples is what he's looking for right now. You see, we've gotten comfortable with professional staff, clergy, um, highly trained seminary PhDs. I don't, I don't have any of that, by the way. All my training has been on the job training. I do have a college degree, but it was not. It was even before I was saved. Okay, so, um, but that's what we've gotten used to is, well, they're the professional. This person has a need over here. I got to get my pastor to go over there and meet that person and to take care of that need. Everything professional staff, a hierarchy. Everywhere from the pulpit to the parking lot, everything has been organized. Big productions, not so much us, but so many people are drawn. Hey, we've become very Hollywood in our desire to reach people. Seeker-friendly churches and congregations. Let's do this and have smoke coming out so there's the worship team. How would you like that, Wendy, if we had like a smoke machine back there? No, but see, that's what it's become, and it draws people in, and they're drawn in by the entertainment aspect of the community and not by the presence of the Lord. There's nothing. Those things may work, and they may introduce us into our faith, but they don't stick. They don't stay. It doesn't work. It's like trying to put a human heart into a computer to make it human. Does that work? Oh, you can't do it. You see, community, congregation, church—whatever you want to call it—I prefer to call it congregation, because "kehila" is the Hebrew word for the assembly, the the gathering together of the called-out ones. Kehila—it's all of us together that makes community. It's not Stu and Millie. See, we're—I believe in the the five-fold ministry where God assigns them to be emissaries or apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And those are all wonderful. We need that. That's why we align ourselves with Tikkun, because they. I feel like we're to be in a, a movement. We're to be under an umbrella where others who... I don't have their giftings, but they do, and I can hear from them and and apostles and prophets. So we're fivefold. We believe in the fivefold ministry. But here's the thing it's to equip you, you, everybody say me when I say you, you, me, for the work of the service. That builds up the body of Messiah. You are to do the work of the service to build up the body of Messiah until we all arrive in unity, maturity in Yeshua. It's all of us are part of that. Not the professional staff, not Stu and Millie, not the elders' leadership, but all of us are part of that. And that's what God is. Yeah, are there leaders? Sure there are. Are there apostles and prophets and and evangelists and and, and pastors? Yes, there are. But all of us are involved in the ministry. That's what brings the unity and the maturity in Yeshua. It's it's you sharing your spiritual gift to edify somebody else. That's why we give opportunity here in our services. Sometimes you go, boy, that goes long. But it's because we give opportunity for people to share their spiritual gift with each other. So it's not just Wendy on the keyboards and the vocals with Mary and me and, and a few others. It's all of us involved so that God gives a word to Devorah or God gives a word to Linda that we make room for that. That's what it means. That's what community is all about. Sharing your spiritual gift. That's why we desire to see you prophesy and and, and teaching. I love it when when we have people come up every week, they're not professional teachers, and we don't pay people to come up here to do the Torah portion. It's people who, and they spend, people spend a long time preparing those Torah portions. And are we blessed by them when they give that? Absolutely. So community is when you engage in prayer in helping someone in crisis, you. It's not about, well, let's call the prayer chain. There's nothing wrong with a prayer chain or the prayer ministry at the particular church, but God has called us to be houses of prayer. I I shared this last week. The Lord has, has put me back on assignment to go out to the Capitol on Monday nights. I went out there, and um, I was the only one out there that night, but that's okay. Lord called me out there. Had a wonderful, wonderful time, and I want to encourage you to go out. If God's puts something on your heart, you do it. And you know, somebody said, "Well, there was just you yourself," and I said, "No, there was there was two or more. <laughs> the Lord was with me." <laughs> Did you see it? I posted it on I posted it on there Facebook. So it's good. It's you. Community is you being so submitted and so committed to each other that when you are offended, you don't leave the congregation. Ephesians 5. 21 says submit to one another in the fear of the messiah so let me read that again it's you being so submitted and committed to each other so that when you get offended by something i say or something millie does or something or or the shoes that she happens to be wearing that day is anybody offended by her shoes You'd be surprised what people will be offended by and leave, but they won't tell you they're leaving. They're just, they just leave. See, that is not covenant community. That is not biblical community. As a matter of fact, all through the scriptures, we read about how to deal with disagreements, how to deal with differences with people. That's why I so appreciated... Where did Joyce go anyways? Oh, Okay. That's why, so, because she's talking about community, and then she's talking about relationship with one another. First John chapter one verse five, and this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you: God is light, and there is no darkness in him. None. If we claim to have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness. We're lying and not living out the truth. But if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of his son Yeshua purifies us from all sin. It's when we choose, you choose, to biblically work out a disagreement you might have with somebody instead of just disappearing off the face of the earth. Never to be, because you got a choice. You can go, there are thousands of churches in the Denver metro area that you can go to. There are several messianic congregations, and what shouldn't happen is you get offended and you leave. I didn't like the song that Wendy played today, so I'm leaving or it's too loud, or it's too soft, or there's this or there's that. We have every excuse. But if God has called you to be in a community, and I believe that that's how God operates, is he calls us to be in community with one another, then you don't leave until God says it's time to move on. And it's usually because you're moving out of the area or ministry opportunity or whatever. Does that make sense? We're to be quick to forgive one another. Forgive Millie for wearing the shoes that she's wearing if that offends you. But talk to Millie and say, Millie, I really, would you not wear those shoes? I don't know why I'm picking on you today, but it's easy. You see, if I hold on to unforgiveness, I'm in darkness. And that's what the scripture is saying. And he's called us to be in the light so if you're holding jealousies or you're envious or you're critical or judgmental about somebody else, that's a darkness. And God says, come out of that darkness and come into my marvelous light. If you're hiding a sin, whether it be pornography or lust or or whatever, and you're not sharing it with anybody, then you're in darkness. And you know, in darkness, there is a prince of darkness, and he has authority over you as long as you stay in that place of darkness. You see, we cannot... How many of us want to change the world? I do. I Let's put it this way. I'm not a person who's... I'm not a dominionist. I don't believe that... We have to change the world to be perfect and then Yeshua will come and take up his throne. I don't believe that. But I do believe that we are called to extend his kingdom all the time. The kingdom is in me. The kingdom is here but not in its fullness yet. We're all called to be extenders of his kingdom. I want to change the world. But if we choose to stay divided or bitter or wounded or in our little camps... We ain't going to change anything. We'll be the laughing stock. Bring it into the light. Walking in the light is embracing his cross. I love the cross of Yeshua. The cross is not just a, a symbol. It's the actual life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Yeshua. That's what the cross is. the cross, embracing it, is dying every day sometimes, to my rights, to my opinions, to my mindsets, prejudices, to my pet doctrines. I can't tell you, being in part of the messianic movement over the last 20 plus years, I have seen such division over doctrines. And there's nothing wrong with doctrines. I have my doctrines. I have my theology of God, okay? But if I am cutting somebody else out because they have a different doctrine. We need to be be very very careful and, and we're not going to see the kingdom expanded if we're holding on to that. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth when they're, when we see error and there are doctrines out there that need to be spoken into. believe me, there's much deception. Yeshua talks about this in Matthew chapter, 24 and 25, he says, you know, they ask him, you know, what's going to be the sign? What's going to be the sign of the end days, the last days? He says, beware that you are not deceived. So there's much deception, and we need to be able to speak into that. But you know you understand deception when you're in the truth, when you know the truth, and when you're so, so dedicated and committed to the truth that you'll know when deception comes. You go, ooh, that's not, that's not from the Lord. See, the, if the Father accepts me, at the expense of his son's blood, then I am forever covenant servant of his people. Let me say that again. If the Father accepts, accepts me at the expense of his own son, Yeshua's blood, then I am forever a covenant servant of his people. By that blood. You see, Yeshua cried this out and in John chapter 17, he said that they all may be one. In other words, in unity, in family, in community. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so also they may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. He prayed that. A few days later, he went to the cross shed his blood. This should be our heart's cry, community. Okay, I want to bring things to a close here, so just a few more minutes. God is wanting to restore community to let him inhabit his house. What's his house? Know ye not that you are the temple of the Ruach HaKodesh, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. So you are that house. We, community or Chaim, the church are his house. He's wanting to restore that community. That's why Millie and I, we're committed. This commission, This congregation, we're committed to a one new man. You know, we get together with church leaders all the time and they don't really totally, like most of them don't really understand kind of what we're all about. But I'm committed to, to be in fellowship with them. And then maybe through osmosis, maybe us being with them or just them getting to know us and us getting to know them, they'll understand who we are. So I'm, I'm all about a one new man, body. He's wanting to, he inhabits his house. And that should be a priority for all of us. Five things that I want to go through very quickly. The first principle or, or, or step or I don't even know how you call this is, is that we repent deeply enough to cultivate a kingdom lifestyle. Number one up there. A kingdom lifestyle. Kingdom is what it's all about. John the Immerser, Yochanan the Immerser, John the Baptist. He says, make straight paths to the Lord. In other words, shuvah, turn, make straight paths to the Lord. Yeshua's first words, when he started, when he began the ministry, you know what his first words were? The time has come. God's kingdom is near. Turn to God and from your sins and believe the good news. That's repentance, true repentance. And and that is how a family survives, is through repentance. We are a family. Love is desiring the other people, other person more than yourself. Desiring to, to, to bless the other person more than blessing yourself. That's what love is all about. And sometimes we need to repent of attitudes against one another. Love is humility. You know what? I heard a definition of humility is the willingness to be known for who we really truly are. Pride is the opposite, the unwillingness to be known for who we truly are. Many of us need to repent of not being humble and, and, and walking in pride. Repentance in, in how we use our time, repentance in how we serve the Lord and serve others, loyalty and forgiveness. These are areas of repentance that God is calling us to be genuine about. Not just saying a quick prayer of, oh Lord, I repent of this or I repent of that, but actually walking in a repentant heart's attitude. Number two is to recover... He wants us as a community to recover the gospel of Yeshua, the gospel of the kingdom. It is not the gospel of salvation. It is much more than the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of Yeshua. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Yeshua himself said in Matthew 24, 14, and this good news about the kingdom will be announced throughout the whole world as a witness to all nations. It is then that the end will come. He even calls it the good news of the kingdom. What does that kingdom look like? Matthew 9, 35, Yeshua went about all the towns, villages, teaching in their synagogues, Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What did it look like? Healing every kind of disease and weakness. Casting out demons. That's what the kingdom looks like. It's not just about salvation. It's more than that. It's also about his Jewish pedigree. That he is the Jewish Messiah. And yes, The gospel of the kingdom is about an eternal covenant that God made with a people called the Jewish people and a land called Israel. That's all part of that. That is why there is such a strong hostility towards the Jewish people and has been. Replacement theology, anti-Semitism, BDS movement, boycott, divestment, um, sanctions, does the church need to know about its Jewish roots and Jewish heritage? Absolutely. How are they going to get to know unless we're in fellowship with one another about that? That's how it comes about it is us being in relationship with them. The message of the gospel of the kingdom, not just about salvation. He announced, number three, he announced, he demonstrated kingdom. By setting people free from demons with his love and liberty of his rule. See, that's what the kingdom looks like. Demonstration of power. Not your own power, not your own wisdom, but a power from God. When you go into the hospital rooms and you pray for people, people get healed. When you pray for somebody for deliverance from demonic activities and they get set free, that's the power of God. I've never seen it, but I've heard it and seen testimonies of people who raised the dead. That's power. That is a demonstration of the kingdom. Just somebody getting saved and turning their life over to Yeshua. That's a power. That's a demonstration of the kingdom. Seeing the gospel extended to every nation, and then the end will come. that's, That's the power of his kingdom. Number four, the kingdom is a way of life. kingdom is a way of life. And that's why I've encouraged you to read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. All through there, Yeshua says, you've heard it said, but I say this. He says, this is how Yeshua says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Let me interpret Torah for you. And that's what he says, that's what he does in Matthew 5 through 7. He wants us to learn how to live a kingdom lifestyle. And yes, it will bring persecution. Others will not necessarily say, Wow, I'm so glad you shared that with me. You might get some pushback, don't you think? Huh, Jared? Don't you think? Maybe even in our own families but it's a lifestyle. It's how we walk in righteousness, purity, overcoming division. That's how we do it, a kingdom lifestyle. And lastly, the kingdom is an all-consuming culture, which means it's not for a casual partaker. It's all in. The kingdom is all in. How we live our lives If there's no change in how I live my life from when I was before a believer, then I don't think the kingdom's had any influence on me at all. It's about a culture of righteousness. It's about a culture where we are submitted to the king of kings and to one another. And people will see that and go, there's something different. I want to be part of that culture. Amen? Would you stand with me? As we enter into worship, as I mentioned earlier, this is a time when also at Or Chaim we bring our, our offerings and the Lord's tithe before him. We have baskets in the front, but also the box, the pushka on the back. Because we consider that as part of our worship. But as we worship him today, we're declaring who he is. And I want us to consecrate ourselves, individually, and as a community, that we desire his presence more than anything else. Lord, we want to see your face. Lord, we've sought your hand, and you've been faithful. You've provided us what we need, but Lord, we want your presence. We want to be saturated in that place of your presence Lord when we lift up our our eyes to you and to your throne we want to see you high and lifted up as Isaiah saw in the temple Hallelujah Father that each and every one of us would renew consecrate ourselves to you afresh today today Today, we say, Lord, we are submitted to you. We are yours. We are your people. You are our Father. You are our God. We love you, Yeshua. And Lord, also, we take that commitment another step, that we're committed to one another as a family, as a community. We thank you, Lord, that you are good And this is what you're wanting to do with us, is to create a culture of lovers, lovers of God, lovers of one another, in the midst of a dark and dying world. Truly that we would be light in that world, in Yeshua's name.